section seven of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter four the new fronde number one defection of conde hitherto the government had been on the whole supported by conde this support was now to be withdrawn the great captain with no sound cause of complaint was literally in the sulks he considered the reward of his merits and services insufficient he was jealous of the permanent political support which by the marriages of his nieces mazarin was acquiring among the great families especially that of vendome and he could not brook the supremacy of the cardinal in the councils of the queen regarding himself as the first man in the kingdom within measurable distance of the crown urged on by the adulation of the young noblesse and by the comparison which de retz drew between himself and the great duke of guise he now determined to break with mazarin it is the course of folly and treason into which he was led by this enmity that constitutes the struggle of the new fronde unlike the parliamentary fronde this movement had absolutely no title to respect the ostensible and in some respects the real cry of the former was the cry for reform but the leaders of the new fronde never even pretended to desire reform their contempt for the bourgeois magistracy was as deep as was their hatred for the patient minister who stood in their path it was a barren aimless and intensely selfish struggle for power the last riot of the feudal spirit in france an opportunity for a quarrel was soon found Condé, besides presenting demands on his own account required that longueville should have the government of pont de l'arche in normandy a fortress which practically dominated rouen steadfast to his policy of refusing to weaken the royal authority by the grant of fortresses mazarin braved the prince's anger conde furious at the rebuff publicly quarrelled with the cardinal when asked to sign the contract between mercure vendome's son and laura mancini mazarin's niece in a moment all the cardinal's enemies rallied to the attack conde determined to strike his blow by inducing the parlement once more to bring forward the proscription law of sixteen seventeen mazarin met the danger in characteristic fashion he advised the queen to write a letter to himself ordering him to take conde's advice regarding the nomination of all generals and principal officers of the crown no one was to be removed no benefices to be filled up no important resolution come to without his assent and mazarin was to promise to support conde's interest under all circumstances finally the minister was to require the prince's consent to any marriage of members of his family these terms were accepted by conde who in return promised mazarin his support and friendship the submission was in appearance complete and the result was probably what mazarin had intended the frondeurs indignant at this treaty with the common enemy broke with conde mazarin at once turned the feeling to his own advantage he bought up madame de montbazon beaufort's mistress and under her influence the duke at length promised all that was asked him 
through the duchess of chevreuse who had an old grudge against conde's sister the duchess of longueville and who recognized that in the end the prince would have to yield to the astuteness of mazarin and the firmness of the queen he secured the inactivity of de retz to whom it is said the duchess sacrificed her daughter's honour in payment and of those who followed his lead conde himself by two intemperate acts came to his aid by his demand for the title of prince for his friends la rochefoucauld bouillon and le tremouille he insulted the rest of the noblesse and the queen and mazarin did their best to encourage the opposition which was excited still greater was the irritation caused by the admission of two of the friends of madame de longueville to the privilege most coveted of all distinctions by the ladies of the court of being seated in the presence of the queen the guerre de tabouret as it was called from the tabouret or footstool placed before the chair divided the court the noblesse appealed to the queen conde passionately defended his sister's friends the queen and mazarin desired nothing better than to throw upon conde the odium of asking for the distinctions objected to and to acquire the credit of suppressing them they therefore revoked the nominations and earned the formally expressed gratitude of the whole body of the noblesse not content with these acts of arrogance conde was now showing a reckless want of patriotism in encouraging the parlement of bordeaux to a second revolt thus weakening france in the part most open to spanish attack this was the more culpable as the spaniards had been making way on the northeast they had taken la motte aux bois and were threatening dunkirk and berg to preserve these two important places was in all the agitations of the moment mazarin's constant anxiety it was in this attitude of anxious hope and of unwavering determination to yield no inch of ground to the foreign enemies of france that the real greatness of mazarin's character was most conspicuous meanwhile the breach between the frondeurs and conde had been rendered complete a fictitious plot was enacted the authorship of which was equally ascribed to and equally denied by the cardinal and the frondeurs a riot was excited among the paris mob during which a shot was fired into conde's carriage and one of his retainers wounded conde was persuaded that his own assassination had been intended he demanded justice and mazarin affected eagerly to espouse his cause beaufort de retz la bouillaille and Broussel were formally indicted for conspiracy each day they appeared in court with their friends and retainers all well armed conde and orleans brought bands of gentlemen similarly prepared for fight into the great hall of justice it seemed momentarily probable that the trial would be changed into a sanguinary conflict in the end the frondeurs managed so to prolong the proceedings that the whole affair was postponed to december twenty ninth but before that day another change had come over the shifting scene conde by his insolent egotism was incessantly playing into mazarin's hands he now roused to exasperation the haughty spirit of anne of austria who had long been chafing under his control by his threats and violence he had compelled her to undergo the humiliation of consenting to receive at court one of his most vicious dependents who had insulted her by a declaration of love he had too in the face of her commands 
supported the duke of richelieu grand-nephew of the great cardinal in a marriage which brought him entirely under his own influence and in an audacious seizure of havre the most important harbour and fortress of the kingdom the danger of allowing this power to remain in conde's hands was too great to be permitted to continue anne and mazarin supported by orleans whose jealousy of conde had been sedulously fostered determined on a step for which the isolation which conde had created for himself rendered the moment favourable they determined to arrest the prince heavy prices had of course to be paid for the support indispensable to the success of so bold a stroke the interest of beaufort was gained by the gift of the admiralty to his father vendome after it had been refused to conde with reversion to beaufort himself and by that of the viceroyalty of catalonia to mercure the nomination to a cardinalate was promised to de retz and heavy gratifications were given to his friends and to those of madame de chevreuse the utmost secrecy as to the intention of the court having been maintained conde conti and longueville were then suddenly arrested on january eighteenth sixteen fifty and imprisoned at vincennes the net has been thrown well said orleans it has caught at once a lion a monkey and a fox an attempt of conde's immediate friends to create a tumult in paris served only to show how little he could count upon support there on the nineteenth the queen informed the parlement of the reasons for the step and that body as tired as herself of conde's masterfulness received the communication with utmost respect the bourgeois mindful of the destruction of their houses and gardens in the suburbs during the siege were equally inclined to concur and paris remained absolutely peaceful number two the fronde in the provinces the capital had been secured it remained to pacify the kingdom conde had warm partisans in normandy burgundy guienne berry champagne and limousin while turenne at stenay a strong fortress commanding the meuse and the great roads to luxembourg and sedan was a constant danger but mazarin's activity was all-sufficing and his skill and patience in dealing with the danger in conciliating where conciliation was possible and in pressing the advantage he had gained by the imprisonment of conde were remarkable he was well aware that imprisonment could not last long he was determined therefore that when the prince was again at liberty he should find himself deprived of his former sources of mischievous power normandy presented the most pressing danger any disturbance there closing as it did the highway of the seine threatened distress and even famine to paris the duke of longueville's officers held the fortresses of pont de l'arche dieppe rouen caen saint-lo cherbourg and granville the duchess had escaped thither and was doing her best to excite resistance following the plan he ever afterwards adopted mazarin decided while taking ample measures for the safety of the other threatened quarters to lead the queen and the young king into the province before starting he made sure of the fidelity of paris by the distribution of heavy bribes to the leading members of the parlement orleans was left in command but a devoted adherent of the cardinal michel letellier was placed at his side the court reached rouen on february fifth having received on the way the submission of pont de l'arche the governor of which was easily won by a heavy bribe within fifteen days normandy was safe 
the duchess of longueville had been compelled to fly dieppe had been secured by force of arms and havre had been obtained from richelieu by the gift of the tabouret to his wife a bribe of twelve thousand crowns bought the submission of the chateau of caen and the title of lieutenant-governor of lower normandy to the head of the turbulent family of matignon secured saint-lo cherbourg and granville all disaffected garrisons and officers were changed and the fortifications of pont de l'arche were destroyed titles of nobility judiciously distributed among the members of the parlement of rouen gained the sympathies of the bourgeoisie on the twenty first the court returned to paris bringing in their train the duke and duchess of richelieu with several of the leading noblesse of normandy as virtual hostages for the fidelity of the province similar successes had been obtained in the other parts of the kingdom dijon the capital of burgundy had surrendered with many more of conde's strongholds stenay and bellegarde on the saone were the only strong places in the north of france which still defied the royal authority in spite of the submission of dijon the temper of the people in burgundy still threatened disturbance and mazarin at once decided to try there also the effect of the king's presence by lavish bribery he again assured the steadfastness of his jealous and temporary allies the duchess of chevreuse was especially insatiable in her demands and mazarin was as ungrudging in satisfying them during the whole of this expedition his correspondence shows him incessantly occupied with keeping unbroken the brittle cords which bound for a time de retz beaufort orleans and the duchesse to his designs the court reached dijon in the middle of march the siege of bellegarde was at once undertaken in spite of the difficulties attending the rainy season mazarin strengthened his force by calling to its aid the troops from weimar who had refused to follow turenne and he heightened the enthusiasm of the soldiers by bringing the young king within the lines a curious scene very characteristic of the nature of the fight now occurred the cries of vivre le roi which went up from the royal troops were raised with equal enthusiasm by the besieged upon the walls they sent word to louis that in honour of his arrival the fire from the place would be suspended for the whole day nor would it be directed toward the quarter where his tent was placed on april eleventh thanks to mazarin's good sense in giving the most favourable conditions the place surrendered the commander was taken into favour and the garrison of eight hundred cavalry was incorporated with the royal army stenay now remained the sole rampart of the rebel cause in the north of france there turenne had been joined by the adventurous duchess of longueville who was indefatigable in keeping the spirit of confusion awake among the frondeurs in paris the discontented bordelais and wherever opposition to mazarin was possible she negotiated too an alliance with spain which was met by a royal declaration registered by the parlement on may sixteenth sixteen fifty that the duchesse bouillon turenne and la rochefoucauld were guilty of high treason and outlawed and that their property was confiscated to the crown this new alliance had little effect the spaniards indeed took Catelet on june second but they failed before the heroic resistance of the governor of the town of guise no common purpose existed between spain and turenne the former cared only for the enfeeblement of france 
the latter for securing the family government of Sedan. Scarcely had the court returned from Burgundy when it was called away to Guienne, where under the insistence of the mother of Condé, the hatred of Epernon the governor, and offers of help from Spain, the smouldering mass had broken into open flame. Bordeaux shut its gates against the royal forces and refused to accept an amnesty from the benefits of which were excluded only those who had treated with Spain. For all acts of severity on the part of the government, they exacted full reprisals and prepared for a vigorous resistance to a siege. That this should last but a short while was for Mazarin of the utmost importance, for he was confronted by dangers on every side. Intercepted dispatches proved that Bouillon was directly communicating with Spain. In Italy, things were going badly, for Porto Longone and Piambino had fallen before the Spanish attack. In the north, the Spaniards had taken La Capelle, Vervon, and Marl. Turenne had captured Rutel and Chateau Portion, and the flying peasantry were carrying dismay into Paris itself. There, too, the faction of the princes was continually strengthening itself, while the streets were placarded by still another party who appealed to the people to seek their safety in the reconciliation of the various members of the royal family and in the banishment of Mazarin. Orléans was wavering once more, and conspiracies had been discovered in Normandy. Mazarin felt the urgent necessity of having his hands free. At length, on September 29th, he secured his end with the appearance of victory by a treaty with the Bordelais, that in token of obedience the town should suffer a royal entry at the head of the army, should lay down their arms, and should raise their fortifications, while in return Epernon was removed, the exiled councillors restored, and a complete and comprehensive amnesty granted to the city. Mazarin at once turned to face his enemies at Paris, and to take the offensive against Turenne. He refused further bribes to de Retz, and he determined at all costs to reconquer Rotel and to check the alarming advance of Spain. With infinite pains he managed to keep the frondeurs still divided, and having removed the prisoners to Havre for greater security, set out with the court for the seat of war, reaching Reims on December 5th. Siege was at once laid to Rotel. Mazarin himself, though suffering severely from gout and gravel, took up his quarters in the camp to encourage the soldiers, and displayed the utmost activity in providing not only for the greater matters of organization, but for all those details in which the well-being of an army consists, down to the men's greatcoats. So vigorously was the place attacked that it surrendered on December 13th. Scarcely had the garrison marched out when Turenne appeared to relieve it. His men, however, were tired, and vigorously pushed by the royal troops, he retreated to an impregnable position on rising ground about twenty-two miles from Rotel. It appeared, however, not for the first or last time as though, when engaged in this unpatriotic warfare, the greatest masters of the art lost their skill and judgment. Turenne allowed his army to descend from the heights and spread itself over the intervening valley. Without an instant's hesitation, the royal marshal, Duplessis Pralon, dashed at them with his whole force. Turenne was in a few minutes utterly routed. Almost the whole of his infantry, 3,500 strong, were slain, the royal troops refusing quarter to all of French blood. 
champagne was cleared of the enemy and even stenay itself prepared for a siege one thing in especial was proved by this campaign with or without conde the royal troops could be counted upon that this was due to mazarin's ceaseless care to render the service popular that the tendency of a standing army to rally to the crown had been strengthened vastly by his management is clear he doubtless felt that come what might he would have to depend upon force in the end it was for this reason that he had caused the young king to live among the troops it was for this too that he was eager for a brilliant success at rethel and that he displayed such care for the personal comfort of his soldiers that care did not cease with success i dispatched last evening he wrote to letellier on the sixteenth a great train of bread wine lint and medicines with surgeons to help the wounded and in addition i have sent my own carriages to convey the disabled persons of quality with money for distribution among the officers mazarin might well look back with pride upon what he had accomplished tortured as he was with disease surrounded by open and secret enemies and only wielding his power in the name of an infant king he had allowed no note of weakness to escape him and had met every danger with wary and supple resolution by the imprisonment of conde he had declared that the crown should no longer be defied by any subject however powerful by dexterous management he had secured temporary quiet in the capital and he had then first in normandy then in burgundy afterwards in guienne and now in champagne stifled intestine war and driven the strangers from the soil and as he returned to paris he could boast that no town in france save stenay refused obedience to the king he had created an army devoted to the crown and while stretching conciliation to its limits in the endeavour to unite all frenchmen to labour for one object he had steadfastly refused during the worst periods of danger and doubt to yield the slightest concession to spain mazarin was a great card-player and it was said that he always rose from the table a winner whatever might have been his losses during the game this aptly illustrates his conduct of great affairs no view of his character is more false than that which represents him as a mere political adventurer that is the view which contemporaries blinded by the storms through which his piercing eyes saw land and safety might fairly take but ultimate success in designs far distant and hidden from the eyes of others was all he cared for in his determination to compass that he never wavered and he played the great game of politics with a patience a coolness and a dexterous use of every turn of statecraft that compel our wonder even now End of section 7